Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. The time for appeasement is over, and that's what vaping advocates in Nova Scotia and across the country are saying after the province pulled the trigger in April on a full flavor ban, and then last week implemented a disastrous vaping products tax that is sure to kill the industry and drive thousands of vapors back to smoking. But all hope may not be lost if you believe the lawyers. Joining us today is Michael Scott, trial lawyer from Patterson Law in Halifax, Nova Scotia. He filed a constitutional challenge to Nova Scotia's arbitrary and pernicious vaping laws on behalf of vape shop owners in the province. Mike, thanks for joining us today on RegWatch. Thanks for having me. Wish it was on better news. So let's uh, go through a little bit of this. Over the past year, Nova Scotia has enacted new regulations that ban the sale of flavored e-liquids and prohibit in-store product testing. And most egregiously, the Liberal-led provincial government instituted this new tax, a consumption tax, that makes smoking more financially viable than vaping. Mike, tell us a little bit about this. Uh, what is Nova Scotia doing? Well, Brent, the, the issue started um, a few years ago uh, when obviously vape shops and vaping started to take uh, hold in Nova Scotia. And we started to see people using that to get off smoking cigarettes, which has been an ongoing problem across the country, but particularly in, in Nova Scotia. Um, the original round of legislation regarding vape shops was uh, problematic, but seemingly out of nowhere, uh, this past winter and spring, the legislature started making noises about implementing uh, stiff regulation uh, and rolled them out in phases over the COVID period. And the result of it has been uh, a situation that isn't so much damaging for uh, vapors and the vaping industry here in Nova Scotia, um, but signals effectively the, the end uh, of the industry here and access points for people looking to get away from smoking cigarettes. So when you say the end, exactly how is it that they're ending? Just for some of our viewers who might not know the tactics, but these are the tactics they use to shut down an industry. Well, uh, the way the province has chosen to to attack vaping in Nova Scotia is by using several prongs. Um, but the the most significant one from a practical perspective is the imposition of the new tax, which came in uh, this month, which uh, effectively makes the ability for shop owners to sell vaping products impossible. Uh, and without question, it will simply put them all out of business with the exception of non-specialty shops uh, like gas stations or convenience stores that sell the products may be able to sell certain kinds of uh, vaping devices which are of very little use for the, the purpose which is intended, which would be smoking cessation. So the flavor ban went into effect uh, April 1st, that's correct? It did, uh, and obviously there was a, a great deal going on here and everywhere else in April, so it, it went somewhat unnoticed, but it was under the same reasoning and the same language was deployed uh, as was the case a few years ago when the province uh, banned flavored tobacco products. And I, I, I think the, the tactic in this case was to analogize flavor, flavored vaping products with flavored tobacco, which of course is um, not analogous at all. Right. Yeah. Try telling them that. <laughs> well, and that, Brent, I mean, that, that's really the, the biggest problem that we have is that the, the legislation was rushed through without any consultation, notwithstanding the fact that 
the industry was uh, more than happy and pleaded with the government uh, to participate in the conversation because obviously, unlike uh, uh, other industries, the, the, the vaping industry revolves around uh, what the province's stated objective is, which is to increase uh, the, the health of people living in Nova Scotia uh, and wean them away from the use of traditional tobacco. But the province, for whatever reason, decided that they wanted nothing to do with that consultation as a result forced through legislation uh, on issues and subject matter that they just quite clearly have no idea what they're talking about. Um, and as a result, have created a situation that has all kinds of unintended consequences. Yeah, I'm just showing here uh, the CBC article from December 5th. So still, you know, kind of as E-Valley was trailing off and this is what was leading into 2020. Um, and, you know, the coverage course in Nova Scotia is as bad or worse, I would say, than anywhere else. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it seemed to have been sparked by uh, an uptick in statistics of young people uh, experimenting with, with vape products, which frankly shouldn't be terribly surprising given the fact that, that 10 years ago there were no vape products. Uh, now that it's become something that's far better known and better understood, it's not entirely uh, surprising that, that young people have been uh, experimenting with that. And there certainly is a way to regulate that if it's, if it's a concern. Uh, obviously our issue with the province is the way in which they've chosen to uh, to take that issue on. Now, before we get into um, the challenge that you filed, because a legal challenge has been filed, um, who is this gentleman here I've got up on the screen beside you? Uh, that is the executive director of uh, Smoke Free Nova Scotia, who's been uh, sort of a, um, a very visible participant in, in the government's push to uh, for all practical purposes, ban vaping in Nova Scotia. There's a number of organizations that have uh, been working in tandem, including the Canadian Cancer Society and uh, a number of other uh, health-related uh, organizations, all of them suffering from the same issue, which is a, a misunderstanding of, uh, of what vaping is, how it works, or what the implications are. And I mean, I'm just always curious about this, and I ask who I can, when I can, you know, why are they involved in this issue? You know, who pays this gentleman? Where do they get their money? Well, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to stay away from, uh, from weighing in on that because sure. I, I don't know that for sure. Uh, but we certainly do have some uh, concerns about efforts that are being made in the background by uh, different groups and different interests uh, that would benefit from uh, an end to the vaping industry as it currently exists sure. um, and, and playing upon the fears of, uh, of people in the general public that might not understand what vaping is. And fair enough. Uh, you have to fight this issue in court. So let's make sure you don't get dirty uh, before you get there. Um, so let me ask you this. I mean, Nova Scotia, from what you understand in terms of the plaintiffs, we've got an interview um, with Bill and Ryan that we're going to play here in a couple of minutes. It's about a 10-minute interview. But why don't you set up for us, you know, what this challenge is that you've filed and who the plaintiffs are, and we'll use that to lead into the interview. Sure. So the, the challenge that we've filed has been um, primarily focused on Section 7 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 
Um, and while that's a, a, a somewhat broad provision under the, uh, the, the Constitution, uh, in effect, it's the, the way we challenge a piece of legislation that both infringes on the rights of, of Canadians, but also isn't justified in a, in a free and democratic society. So the thrust of the argument here uh, is in part in relation to the flavor ban, to the taxes that have been imposed, um, and uh, other legislative issues, including the ability to test flavors in specialty vape shops on the basis that it, uh, it very much negatively impacts both industry members, the, the shop owners, but also vapors and smokers. So those who are trying to get off smoking traditional tobacco by using uh, vaping products and also those who have already quit and are trying to stay away from resuming the uh, smoking combustible tobacco. Um, the plaintiffs in this case, uh, Bill McEachran and Ryan Landry, uh, fill both roles in as much as they are the co-owners of a well-known vape shop here in, in Halifax. But they're also uh, former smokers who, like most shop owners in Nova Scotia, and I expect across the country, got into the industry because they were smokers, uh, used vaping products to wean themselves off of tobacco, um, and then wanted to share that with other people. And I, I certainly have known uh, both Bill and Ryan for a number of years now, uh, and they've been very strong advocates in the community, uh, very much dedicated to working with uh, former smokers and those looking to to get off of smoking and in uh, helping develop the vaping industry as a positive force uh, focused on smoking cessation. Now, what's different about this? You know, this is a constitutional challenge and correct. Mm -hmm. And What's different between this one and the one that had prevailed in Quebec that the Canadian Vaping Association um, had spearheaded there? Because there was a big win in Quebec. So how are they different? How are they the same? And does Quebec help? Well, they're, they are quite similar, same, very much the same premise. Uh, and actually, we were in touch before we filed our action with, with Audrey Bachter, who's the, the lawyer that, uh, that represented the Canadian Vaping Association in the Quebec matter. Um, a great deal of respect for, for Audrey and the work that she did uh, in that particular matter. And it is quite similar as much as we're changing a piece of provincial, we're challenging a piece of uh, provincial legislation uh, on the basis that it offends uh, aspects of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. There are some similarities and some distinctions. Um, the major practical difference for ours is the tax that has been imposed by the Nova Scotia government. Um, that's not something that was challenged in Quebec because it wasn't imposed. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think it's ever been uh, as front and center as it, as it is in the Nova Scotia case. But there are some similarities. Um, the Quebec case involved the challenge of the ban on uh, vaping in a vape shop. Uh, and the argument that was made, and the, be the same argument that we'll be making here in Nova Scotia, is that uh, the ability to intake a smoker into a specialty vape shop, which is already restricted to adults only, and the ability of that shop owner or the employee of that shop to work with someone to assess their nicotine level, 
to show them how the device works, to find um, a system that works best for them is what ensures their best chances of being successful in stopping smoking. And when we ban uh, vaping altogether, even inside of one of those specialty shops, we're then throwing up roadblocks um, to our ability to use vaping for, for what's intended. And in Quebec, uh, the, the CVA was, was successful, which is useful for us because of course it, it sets a precedent. Um, and there were a number of other precedents that came out of that decision, which I think will be of assistance to the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia in this case, including a recognition that, um, that flavors are an important component of uh, using vaping as a smoking cessation tool, because um, that is, again, one of the grounds that we will be challenging here is that the, the, the flavor ban has a disproportionate impact without any rational connection to the intended objective. Um, so some of these arguments have already been had in Quebec. And in that case, they, they called a, a, a large number of uh, experts to give testimony to the court uh, so that the court could, could weigh it in that matter. But there are some distinctions uh, between the two cases. And I would say probably the largest one would be uh, the, the, the tax uh, that's been imposed in Nova Scotia, which is unlike anything else um, that's come across the country. Though I expect some of the other provinces may be uh, watching Nova Scotia to see what comes of it. And there was actually a First Amendment argument, uh, too, as well, to the Quebec challenge that isn't a part of this one. Uh, actually, uh, well, it's not a First Amendment. Excuse me. I'm, yeah. I'm thinking like an American here for a second. Wrong, but wrong country. Yeah. Wrong country. So, but, but, you're, but you're quite right. Section two of the uh, of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, guarantees our, our freedom of expression. And one of the, the things that was being challenged in Quebec was um, certain kinds of bans on advertising and its impact on freedom of, of speech. That's not an issue that, that, that we're fighting here. In fact, the the industry here has been very much supportive of reasonable measures uh has not been arguing for the ability to advertise openly um is very much in support of restricting access to specialty shops uh for adults only and, and those sorts of measures to address um the issues that the community has suggested are important to them like making sure that these shops are not access points for for young people and that the products are being used responsibly and reasonably and for their intended purpose, which is smoking cessation. Right. Okay. Um, I've got some sticky questions I want to ask because I just, just to get in there, um, sure. maybe I'll ask the first one um, now. Is there actually really a right to harm reduction in Canada? Has that been established legally? Was it established in Quebec or elsewhere? Or is this something that the industry has to keep fighting for to get established somewhere? Do you mean in, in relation to vaping specifically or, or generally a right to? Well, I mean, it's a general it's a general thing. But the overall Section 7, right, would be that, you know, you've got some right to make some decisions about what you put in your own body and in your own health care and, and these kinds of things, these these rights that you have to, like, not, you know, be harmed and so forth. I know that it's a, you know, that's a bit uh, loosey-goosey the way I'm describing that. But as vapors, you know, we talk about, you know, we should have a right to put, you know, what we want in our own bodies to the extent that, especially if it's gonna be reducing harm from something, right? So the government should not be able to deny us that choice to reduce harm. 
Well, Section 7 is, is specifically the right to life, liberty, and, and uh, security of the person, right. which is uh, a, a slightly more nebulous provision than, than something that's more ascertainable, like Section 2, a right to free expression, or Section 8, the right to be free from unlawful search and seizure. Right. Uh, but as a general principle, one of, one of the great things about uh, our charter um, that, I, that I think makes it so much superior to, to something like, like the American Constitution uh, is is that it is quite practical. So the, the starting objective is not that you have a right to put what you want in your body or you don't have a right to put what's in your body. The, the, the general way we approach the rights of citizens in Canada is you have rights to do fundamentally what you would like to do so long as your rights aren't unreasonably impeding another interest. So in the case of... Uh, uh, you're you're legally required to wear a seatbelt, and the argument is that um, you know the, the the fact that you are denied the freedom to not wear a seatbelt is superseded by our need to ensure the safety of people driving cars. So one is justified by the other. Um, the argument, as regards vaping, seems to be a little bit more fundamental, which is there doesn't appear to be. Uh, a clear understanding of the plain fact that there is no demonstrable evidence to suggest that that vaping is a danger to its users. And there is uh, a significant amount of evidence to suggest that it is the single most effective uh, smoking cessation tool that we've devised to date. And that's simply not getting out into the public narrative. And every year or so, we see these stories come out. Um, last year, it was people being admitted to emergency rooms with suspected vaping-related lung illnesses, which turned out to have nothing to do with vaping, had to do with vitamin E acetate and black market systems related to uh, ingesting marijuana. A few years ago, it had to do with the, the popcorn lung scare that uh, that was coming up. So there is a... There, there's a, a great deal of misinformation in the general public uh, and the vaping community has either been derelict or at the very least entirely unsuccessful in trumpeting the horn of uh, just how important vaping is in Canada for all the efforts we've made for decades. Um, you know, we, we finally come across a homegrown open source technology that doesn't require pharmaceuticals, uh, uses only entirely well-known and tested ingredients, and to date um, has not resulted in any appreciable negative effects. And then we compare that against something like uh, the smoking of cigarettes, which there are very few things that we've figured out as a community more decisively than the fact that Canadians are dying every single day from smoking cigarettes. Um, so the, the issue here has to be partially a legal one in, in weighing the interest, but also making sure that we have our facts straight and we understand that, uh, you know, the risk associated with, uh, vaping is quite low. Uh, the potential benefits of not only allowing the industry to survive, but frankly, in, in the view of many, myself included, should be encouraged and and taken advantage of uh, as an opportunity 
rather than taking the absolute worst route we could, which is in the name of public health, imposing legislation that negatively affects the health of Nova Scotians, that actually does the exact opposite uh, of its stated intention. Um, and you've and got experience with vaping too personally, correct? I, I do. I, I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day for, for 20 years. And I, I'm what uh, in the, the vaping community is called an accidental quitter. Because um, I, uh, in 2014, I went to meet a, a potential client at a, the very first vape shop in, in Nova Scotia. Having not any idea what it was, um, I think I had seen the little, what used to be called cigalikes, the, the little devices that looked like cigarettes. And I went into a shop just to sort of understand what he was doing from a business perspective. And before I left, uh, the, the shop owner had suggested that I try one of these devices, which I wasn't particularly interested in. But uh, I walked out of that shop and I, I never smoked again. And that was, that was a number of years ago now. Had no intention of, I, I just assumed I would always smoke cigarettes. And that was just something I was going to have to deal with. Um, but he did exactly what we need shop owners to be able to do, which is he took me to a counter and he asked me a lot of questions and he assessed the way I smoked and how much I smoked and, you know, what the things were that I needed. He didn't try to sell me something that, that I didn't need. He tried to find something that fit my purpose. And despite myself, uh, I, I stopped smoking that day. Uh, and I, I couldn't believe it for days after I kept walking around with a pack of cigarettes in my pocket. Um, and it, you know, ever since that, uh, you know, my my story is very much like everybody else I know is. Then you're you're talking to family members and uh, and your sister and your brother and your coworkers um, because you're excited about the fact that you know you've you've been able to do this thing, and that's uh, been the story for so many people here, for thousands of people in Nova Scotia that otherwise would have continued to smoke cigarettes. That's a great story. Congratulations on that. And for the vape shop owners all across Canada that have been doing that, I mean, that is exactly the purpose behind the, you know, the specialty vape shops. It's certainly not if you're buying a vape at a gas station. It's a completely different thing. On that note, let's jump to uh, Bill and Ryan, who are the plaintiffs in this case, um, and get a word from them. It's uh, about a 10-minute interview, so grab some popcorn and uh, have a vape. One second. And thank you, uh, thank you, Brent. Uh, so our shop, we've been uh, established in uh, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia for about three years now. Um, we've had a, a great success uh, as a company, as a part of the community here. We had our chance to speak to the government. Uh, we went in, we sat in at the legislation, we had petitions, uh, I think nearly 10,000 uh, uh, names signed on either postcards or on actual petitions. Uh, the government listened to us, and they took nothing away from that. Uh, they decided to uh, pass the motion to ban the flavors, uh, and then they added the 20 milligram cap after the fact. And then after that, they uh, implemented the uh, 50 cents per milliliter tax, uh, which 
as far as it goes, it's the most regulation you could have without actually banning vaping. So Ryan, let me ask you this. Would you agree with the statement that there is a war on vaping by the province of Nova Scotia? There's absolutely a war on vaping. Our industry tried, you know, to be heard. We tried to be involved in the regulations and stuff like that when they were being made. Uh, the government didn't want to hear anything from us. They kind of went ahead and made these regulations on their own uh, without our input. And, you know, in our opinion, went extremely overboard uh, with the regulations to the point where, you know, this is going to cause many, many people to go back to cigarettes simply because, you know, the, the taxes and stuff like that that have been implemented have, you know, probably doubled or tripled the cost for a vapor, um, you know, over cigarettes. Bill, you've been involved in advocacy around vaping for quite some time. I mean, how do you characterize the province's approach to this product and the consumers who use it? They, they like to pretend that we don't exist. Like they, they, it was, it was, uh, they turned a blind eye to us entirely. So gentlemen, if the province is not listening to you, I mean, what recourse then um, is there? I know that this lawsuit has been filed. We've been, we're talking about it today in the show. Could you fill us in a little bit about why you joined this lawsuit? We've tried every other avenue. Like, obviously we didn't want, we didn't want to do this. We didn't want to be here. Yeah. Um, we ultimately just wanted the province to work with us, with our industry to, you know, come to a uh, mutual agreement. Yeah, mutual agreement on, on regulations that were good for everybody. You know, that's all we're looking for. We never, we're not fighting for no regulations or we're not fighting for any of that. We just want what's fair. Yeah. And, you know, they kind of put us in this position where they've left us no choice. That's, that's why we're here. Tell us about the lawsuit. How did this get organized? How's it getting funded? Who are you working with to promote it? The lawsuit is being funded by uh, many different companies, people, um, shop owners, wholesalers right across Canada. Um, we had a go, we have a GoFundMe running. Um, that's raised about, I think the current GoFundMe is at about 107,000. Um, we had a small GoFundMe before that, that raised 27 or so. So we're sitting in the 134 range uh, right now. Um, estimated legal costs for this are going to be around 200, possibly up to 250. We're not sure. It's just an estimation at this point. Um, so we still need to raise money. Um, that's that's That has to happen. Ultimately, whatever doesn't get raised is going to be on us and our company. And, you know, that would be the end of us if... if all this goes through and, and we fail and, you know, nothing else comes from any other sources. You know, our, our company will fold on the spot. We would have no choice. What kind of support have you received from the advocacy or organizations, VITA, Canadian Vaping Association, and so forth? CVA has been great. Yeah, CVA uh, has been really great. Daryl Tempest, uh, awesome guy. He's been, he's always been there, you know, organizing the rallies. Uh, and he's really helped us. Uh, with a lot of the legal jargon. Uh, he's been working one-on-one -on -one with the lawyers. Um, I can't say enough good things about the guy, really. They've obviously dealt with some of this stuff um, a few years ago in, in Quebec. Um, so they have a ton, a ton of experience with this. And they've helped us a lot by dealing with our lawyers and stuff like that as well. So 
you know, all the, all the stuff that's going on in the background with the lawyers is, is not just me and Bill. It's yeah. actually the CBA a lot more than, than me and Bill. So and we, Sam and Taryn. Yeah. Like just yeah. all of them, Jody, like they've just been really good. They've provided so much more uh, information, so many more tools and stuff like that for our lawyers and our legal team to fight this with that we wouldn't have had before. So, you know, I, I definitely would like to give a huge shout out to the CBA. Oh yeah. Big time. You know, that's good. Be good to know because there was so much work that's gone on in Quebec and, you know, we're talking about Quebec a lot right now because of course there's an appeal and yeah. there's also all the precedents though that were set in yeah. Quebec that, you yeah. know, hopefully are going to not have to reinvent the wheel in Nova Scotia. Yeah. And you know what, and that, that's essentially what we're doing today too. Like this and, and people across this country need to understand this. We are attempting to set a precedence in Nova Scotia. If we can do that, PEI already has a flavor ban set for March 1st, if I'm correct. That's correct. Yeah. So if we can if we can kill this in Nova Scotia, in, in the Nova Scotia court systems, we will set a precedent for the rest of the country as well. If we can beat this flavor ban here, um, this will, you know, this will be a huge tool for any other province that attempts to ban flavors. We're not just fighting for Nova Scotia here. We're fighting for for Canada. So well, that is true. Dominoes fall. They tend to fall together and very quickly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is um, correct. How does it make you feel to know that your provincial government is trying to kill you? <laughs> you know, it's a loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> is it demoralizing? For one, it's is it demoralizing? Two, is it putting you out of business? Well, it's super demoralizing on, on yeah. a few levels. A, you know, to see all these people that have you know, successfully gotten off combustible tobacco, uh, using vaping. And we've, we have customers that, you know, some customers pick up a vape and, you know, three, four months later, they come back and, and they're, they've dropped their nicotine levels down significantly. And, you know, three, four months after that, they come back, they're on a zero and then they're quitting, yeah. you know, and it, it's, you know, that's success for us. And then on a business level, it's, it's, definitely demoralizing you know we we built a great business here from scratch and bill how about you i mean disenchanted with the province uh, <laughs> it's a yeah it's a, it's a love-hate relationship um I, I i love this province i love the people i love the community that we're that we're in here um and uh honestly really everyone that we talk to kind of has this it's a consensus that uh uh, it's it's poor decision making on the on the side of the government that's that's brought us to this position. Yeah, you'll so. you'll hear a saying around here, and I've heard it multiple times from many different industries, where people say, you know, Nova Scotia's closed for business. There's already not a lot going on here in this province in terms of jobs, so it, it's it's really difficult. Yeah. You know, this this province needs to try and save as many jobs as we can because people are just going to turn around and leave, not because they want to, because they have to. Let me ask you guys, as we wrap here as the last question, I'll start with you, Ryan, and then Bill, I'll let you answer this. And are you going to win this thing? <laughs> Obviously, listen, we're all in at this point. We, we have no choice. So we need to take this as far as we can possibly go until, you know, we can't go anymore. We, ha we have to win this. You know, we don't, <laughs> there, there's no, uh, there's no other option at this point. So I, we are super confident. Um, our, our lawyers, you know, have looked at this. They're very convinced that we have a strong case. Um, we've had other lawyers look at it as well. Um, 
the ones that uh, that were involved in the Quebec case and stuff like that, and they also agree that we have a very strong case. Um, if we didn't have a very strong case, you know, we, we probably wouldn't be going after it. If we don't win this, uh, it really makes you question how many civil liberties and rights we have left as people. I mean, this is... Uh, it, it's it's restricting access to harm reduction, and as Canadians, we have a right to harm reduction. So, I really have faith that we'll win. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, it's, yeah, it uh, it, we'll fe- it feels like it feels like we have to win just yeah, because yeah. we know that it's wrong, you know, yeah. and and because of that, it feels like we have to win. It, it just feels like, you know. Well, if, if we, we didn't, <laughs> something is is serious, seriously wrong with the system. With the system, sure. yeah, you know, and and uh, we we just hope that the system works the way it should. And if that happens, we we will win. So, Mike, how justified are they in the hope that uh, you'll prevail in court? Um. Well, I think they're, they're, they're quite justified. We certainly wouldn't have, have taken it to this extent if we didn't think that it was uh, both legally viable and, and also I, I agree with both Ryan and Bill, it's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, part, part of the reason we find ourselves in these kinds of messes uh, is because people don't get involved and they don't challenge it. And that's how we end up with, with laws that are instituted for no other reason, for, for absolutely no other reason than to give the appearance of having done something. Um, but you know, the, we have the system we have to challenge uh, the, those sorts of, uh, of decisions at the governmental level. And the only reason uh, it's allowed to continue is in circumstances where we don't. Do, do they, the way they describe that Canadians have a right to harm reduction, it's again, it's, a, it's pretty much the same question as before, because I really want to start drilling down on this over the course of the next several months, is that, is there this right? And if not, you know, how do we establish it? Well, we, we do. Uh, I mean, it, you know, I suppose that the best known case on, on that point would be the inside case out of, out of British Columbia, which had to do with, uh, with methadone clinics and, and harm reduction. Um, but in the broader context, uh, the issue is you can't restrict someone's liberty. And I would consider, I think it would not be controversial, that their right to access uh, a harm reduction mechanism, you can't limit that without good reason. And that means that there must be a, a an articulable interest uh, that justifies infringing that person's right to access harm reduction. And there must be a causal connection between those two things that makes the measure necessary. And is that uh, not what they're trying to establish with regard to youth use, teen vaping? Is that that's the that's the crux of the argument then that they're using? The, the, the battle cry from the provincial government has been, uh, as it usually is, um, oh, the children, the children. Um, and the the problem with that is that that's that's a very uh, that's a very nice thing to say, but when you start drilling down on it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So uh, if number one, there was a pandemic of young people uh, taking up vaping and uh, being exposed to harm as a result, and the measures being imposed were rationally connected 
to addressing that issue, uh, then it would be justified. But the fact of the matter is that uh, that's not the case. And the only reason you could come to that conclusion would be by deliberately closing your eyes and blocking your ears to the facts, which is exactly what the province has done by refusing to have any sort of meaningful discussion with people like Ryan and Bill and utterly refusing to allow themselves to become educated uh, on the issue that they publicly say is very important, very serious, such that they have to, uh, to impose draconian legislation, um, but without any particular appreciation or intention to learn about what it is uh, they're dealing with. Walk us uh, through here a little bit. This is the actual filing uh, that you guys filed with the court. So maybe just walk us through a little bit of this. So the notice of application in court uh, sets out the legal framework for the challenge. So it sets out the specific sections of the different acts at issue because there are several pieces of legislation here, the Tobacco Access Act, uh, the Smoke-Free Places Act, uh, and the amendments that have been imposed, which are measures that we are suggesting uh, offend Section 7 uh, and are not saved under Section 1 of the, uh, of the Charter. So the, the argument is set out in terms of what specific provisions it is uh, that are being challenged, why they contravene the Section 7 rights of uh, vapors, smokers, and the industry, and in this case, represented by uh, Ryan and Bill's business and Bill individually. And, and, it's, then, and it says uh, here, you specifically mention E-Valley in this. Uh, yes, yeah. Although the banning of flavored uh, vaping liquid does not prevent, quote, e-cigarette or vaping associated uh, lung injury. So the, the, the non sequitur here has been that uh, young people are going to take up vaping. As a result of that, they are going to develop uh, lung disease and that banning flavors will either remedy or in some material way address that issue. And I don't know if we have time in the show to unpack the manifold ways that, that, you know, that that's an incoherent position to take. Well, we could uh, we we certainly could go as long as needed, but you know we want to save some of that for the court. I'm sure uh, I've got up here right now the the revenue side. Describe a little bit about the province's ability to institute a tax of this nature because it is quite drastic. It does appear to be uh, intended to kill the industry. Can they just get away with this? I mean, the province have these broad powers for taxation. Well, if, if we have anything to say about it, no, they can't get away with it. But the general principle is that under the Revenue Act, the province has a broad discretion to impose uh, taxes. And sometimes those taxes are imposed uh, to uh, motivate certain kinds of behavior. And in this case, that's obviously the, the intention by imposing a 50 cents per milliliter tax on vaping liquid. Um, that's a gargantuan tax. <laughs> well, it, it's... It, it, I'm not, I have not the slightest idea where that number came from or, or how it was derived, um, but it's almost irrelevant because it, it, you're, we're, we're talking about doubling the price of vaping liquid uh, and creating a, a bizarre situation in which uh, the province has now seemingly 
intentionally incentivized the smoking of cigarettes. They've created a situation in which they have they have made an incentive for people to buy cigarettes from the government rather than uh, rather than vape, which is uh, a key component in smoking cessation. Smoking cessation. The idea that I can use this, it's less harmful, um, it's accessible, and I'm saving money while I'm doing it. But by reversing the tables, uh, particularly in, in, in among uh, the, the portion of the population that doesn't have a great deal of expendable income, uh, and that's a portion of the population that's disproportionately impacted by tobacco use, you've now given them an extraordinarily good reason to either not stop smoking or go back to smoking cigarettes. Yeah, it's strange because they certainly know they've used the tool of taxation in order to curb smoking for so many years. And then, you know, and they know people react, right? And so that's why they're using this. Their argument is, is that teens seem to be specially uh, susceptible to price. They're, they're especially sensitive to price. Well, who isn't? Well, uh, the, but they, the same argument is used for uh, for the flavor ban, which is the suggestion that, um, you know, flavors will attract young people. The, the, the natural conclusion being that adults don't like things that taste good. Uh, and yet nobody seems to have any issue with the fact that in another month I'll be able to get candy cane flavored vodka from the Nova Scotia Liquor Commission. Uh, it, it's a preposterous argument and, and it belies any attention to the, the, the more obvious issue, which is we already have legislation in place that restricts access points. You know, a number of years ago, the, the provincial government imposed legislation that would disallow anyone from entering uh, a specialty shop unless they were of the age of 19. Now, the irony there, to give you a sense of the, the kind of people you're dealing with in the industry, not one shop in Nova Scotia, when that legislation came into effect, uh, had not already voluntarily, without having been asked, they all imposed uh, a 19 and over rule because they thought that that was the responsible thing to do. They didn't require the government to tell them to do it. So that was already part of the culture. Uh, it's now law. It has been for a number of years. So if the issue is that shops like the ones that, that Bill and Ryan operate, if that is the concern uh, in terms of being an access point for young people, then the problem is enforcement. We already have a mechanism to deal with that. And I know that the province has been extraordinarily silent on that point because it appears uh, there has already been a great deal of investigation into access points. And young people are not in any meaningful numbers accessing vaping products from shops uh, like the ones that, that Bill and Brian uh, operate. Are you going so, to be? Are you going to be able to during the case? Is there? I mean, is it relevant for you to be able to present evidence that demonstrates that Evali was a hoax, for the lack of a better term? You know that that the mainstream media and and all of these nonprofit health groups have been advancing a lie that it's been proven a lie. It, can you actually put that to the court and also to as well with the teen vaping because? key numbers that have come out of Hammond's re Dr. Hammond's research, you know, are now in question. I mean, it's, it's really clear. Oh, they're not in question. I mean, and, and the Hammond report is something that the provincial government here expressly relied on 
and, uh, and, and sort of pounded on that, on that report as evidence supporting their position. And I, you're, you're very generous to say it's been called into question. I think it's been, been thoroughly shredded. And yet we have not heard one word from the provincial government uh, on that issue. They've gone eerily silent on the fact that, that one of the keystones uh, of, of their argument has now turned out to be uh, nonsense, as has every other uh, spurious study or, or you know, internet research paper that, that's come out over the last number of years. And to answer your question more directly, absolutely. In fact, it's incumbent upon us to bring that evidence forward because one of the key parts of the, the legal test is uh, what's called the, the rational connection test. So um, while for certain reasons, the provincial government has a broad discretion to do certain things, even if it imposes on the rights uh, of the people of Nova Scotia, but it has to be justified. It has to be for a good reason. And there has to be a rational connection between the restrictions being imposed and the object. It's not good enough to simply say, uh, we're worried about young people vaping, therefore we're going to do something that's entirely unrelated to that. We don't really care if it, if it works or has any logical connection to the objective. We're simply going to apply measures. That is something that, uh, that can be challenged. So, um, you know, it's not simply a matter of, of context. It's, it's a key part of our case will we'll be required to dissect and pull apart all of the ways in which the government's measures have absolutely no connection to their stated objective and going a step further and, and with a sense of irony are actually contrary to the purpose. If the objective here is to get people to stop smoking, is to reduce harm, uh, the, the measures that Nova Scotia government have imposed are an exorbitantly effective way of defeating that objective. They've made more of a mess of it than they started with. So it sounds like to me that this is going to be the first case in Canada where teen vaping numbers and E-Valley, uh, the vaping-related lung illness, so-called, will be litigated in court. Uh, and, and I'll be happy to be the one to do it. Um, but it's, uh, yes, you know, part of this has to do with the way we we receive information and the way the media handles the story. So, you know, for example, um, you raised teen vaping numbers. Uh, for the last number of years when we've been seeing these numbers, particularly in 2017, we were getting a great deal of news about uptakes uh, among youth vapors. And those numbers, uh, when they're parsed, are, are sometimes not exactly as they appear. I mean, it can't be surprising to anyone that young people are going to experiment with whatever comes through, but that's a very different thing than suggesting that they're taking up vaping or that they're becoming addicted to vaping. Uh, and then that argument is always tied to the tired uh, and, and entirely questionable argument of gateway, this, this somehow, somehow baseless uh, suggestion that somehow people who have never smoked tobacco are going to try vaping and then that's going to be a gateway to them smoking cigarettes. Um, you know, which, which is a premise for which there is absolutely no uh, evidence. But you're going to love that. You're going to love this graphic here from Global's coverage on this is two days ago, and this is Global yep. News and their coverage of Saskatchewan's consultation. And you know, here it is: youth vaping and smoking. Twenty-seven point seven percent of the respondents who use tobacco 
began doing so after vaping. And that is the Canadian Heart and Stroke Foundation's research. How could you even possibly credibly take that as unbiased for aged 16 to 24 um, and their vaping habits? And this is just two days ago, national news. And, and, and why are we talking about people who are 24? Okay. You, know, it, it, you know, if we're talking about, talking about young people and, and there's, yeah, I mean, this is what we've, we've been dealing with. And I don't know if it's even so much of a, an, an issue of bias as it is sensationalism. You know, it's a it's not as interesting a story to say uh, there's absolutely no reason to to believe that this is a significant issue of a kind that immediately needs to be addressed with with draconian legislation. But graphics of, you know, a person, uh, you know, obscured by a cloud of toxic smoke and and numbers that harken back to uh you know the, the heyday of smoking cigarettes that's a good story uh and and who are we to let the facts get in the way of a good story and that's exactly it what bothers me a lot here let me just see if i can just pull this back here uh right oh it's hard it's a little obscured but they use the they use youth that they've enrolled into their propaganda uh, groups, right? So youth for change, and then they so they they actually quote themselves. So it's youth that are a part of this, you know, propaganda unit that are out then creating propaganda quotes as youth for the media, and that's what's you know fully on on board in this story. It drives me crazy. Um, as a journalist, it's sickening. Well, and it's I I've never been able to put my my finger on it, but this has been the issue since since day one, and at least in the early days of, of vaping, um, you know, it could be understood because it was so new. You know, there was some there was some fear that we were seeing uh, the development of something analogous to cigarettes, and I think it's it's in the public consciousness that we missed the boat on cigarettes. It was it was by the time the general community was alive to the dangers of smoking cigarettes. It was too late. Uh, you know, the, the, the modern cigarette is one of the most incredible pieces of technology ever developed uh, in terms of its addictive uh, properties. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's been a fairly well-intentioned worry uh, that we might be missing the boat on, on vaping. And frankly, if, if you're not around it or you don't understand it, it looks like smoke looks like smoking and and isn't that a negative thing and should not be worried about it the problem is when the uh when the government and organizations like the canadian lung foundation uh, don't seem to be at all concerned in actually looking into the issue and instead seem to be more interested in simply whipping up fear and furor uh, because not only are you impacting something for absolutely no reason. You put someone like like Bill and Ryan out of business for absolutely no reason. They're they're actually working contrary to their mandate. They're missing the boat. We have an opportunity here to use this technology uh, to do something that all the pharmaceutical companies in the world haven't been able to uh, to do. And in the process, build a homegrown industry that we control. Uh, and not only have we missed the boat on that, we seem absolutely hell-bent on killing it before it gets off its feet. Yeah, they've been like they've been certainly hell-bent on doing that from day one. So we've got a couple of more minutes here. Uh, so in your opinion then, I mean, what's next? So there's the injunction, maybe talk about that. What's the likelihood that that's gonna get passed? And then 
the timeline. When do you think you're going to be making these arguments in court? Um, and how long was this process going to take? Well, the, there's a few steps here. I mean, the injunction is a, is a, uh, an interim measure because the, the issue here is that we don't have a lot of time. Um, the, the government chose, and I, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but chose to ram this thing through without any appreciable consultation uh, right through the COVID period. So if we don't put the brakes on this so that we can at least have the debate and let the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia deal with it, uh, it's going to be a moot point because uh, all of the uh, shops like like Bill and Ryan's will already be out of business. And so lots of closed already, too. Let's just make sure that we, what's your land, the picture of the landscape? Lots have closed already. Uh, I Probably half of the shops in Nova Scotia have closed preemptively because they can do rudimentary math. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're now priced into a place where they, they, they can't uh, feasibly make a living and those that are open are most of them are running at a deficit and then we impose upon this the the added tax implication which is those shops are only permitted to bring in product from suppliers that are approved by the nova scotia government and the nova scotia government will require uh, those providers out of province to collect taxes in advance and be responsible for them notwithstanding that they are not in any way connected to nova scotia so the number of, I can't imagine uh, why any uh, business outside of Nova Scotia, any supplier would want to do business with Nova Scotia on those terms. Um, so, it, you know, I, I don't know that if we are unsuccessful in moving the injunction ahead, whether there'll be much to fight over at the end of the day. We'll, as a result, we'll, we'll push it. The courts are slow to grant injunction requests because it's a, a fairly significant measure. But in this case, the hope is that it will be recognized that uh, it's absolutely necessary to preserve a state of affairs to allow these people to, to have their day. Right. How, how much is politics involved in Nova Scotia? I mean, obviously, I think it's the same politics across country, but what can you say to that or can you? Um, I, I think politics is always involved in legislation and that's, uh, you know, perhaps that's a necessary evil where I think it crosses the line is when, uh, we start imposing significant legislation for no other reason than to give the appearance of having done something. It, it, we seem to be reaching a point where, you know, it used to be government officials were motivated to do the right thing because if you don't, we'll vote, vote you out later. And it seems to be that the modus operandi now is I don't need to do anything good. I just need a soundbite. I just need some. I just need to give the appearance uh, of doing something good. And if all we're seeing are uh, snippets in the news without any context or or any detail, it's hard to argue against uh, you know the health of children and protecting children from dangerous substances. Uh, nobody seems to be wanting to read down a few lines to actually understand what it is. You know, that's that's the world we live in. So part of it, you know, and I'm sure all the provinces uh, are in the same boat. You know, it, it's the citizenry's fault to some extent because we simply refuse to look beyond, uh, you know, the chirons and, and the headlines. Right. There's uh, a great there's a great quote. I remember I told you about that quote uh, yeah. from uh, from the great debate. Uh, which is a really good book, which is uh, Edmund Burke and Thomas Paine and the birth of right and left. 
And uh, it's just a, a tight little quote, but liberty is a compromise between restraint and freedom. That's, that's a quote that is uh, long forgotten in the public discourse. And it's right on the money here because they want to restrain. We want to be free. Where do you find that compromise? And, you know, well, to, to the point is that they don't seem to want to compromise. Well, they have no interest in, in compromising. You know, to their credit, the, uh, you know, the conservative minority here in, uh, in Nova Scotia um, voiced a great deal of concern. I, I mean, everyone's been on the same page about uh, making sure that we understand vaping and having reasonable uh, regulation. The federal government has dealt with that um, to, to some extent. Uh, but it just appears that the the liberal government in power here at the moment, for whatever reason, uh, and it was never made clear, simply decided it was easier to to ram this through, uh, you know, close your eyes, block your ears, and let's push this thing through, uh, and and it'll all be fine. And it won't be fine. Uh, it's it's incredibly damaging. It's damaging homegrown businesses. It's damaging the health of Nova Scotians. And frankly. Uh, if the tobacco industry could write legislation, it would be this. I, you know, I, I, I'm not prone to uh, to conspiracy, but if you if you told me that the tobacco industry was going to sit down and design a piece of legislation that would perfectly annihilate the competition they've been able, unable to deal with, while still preserving their ability to increase sales of cigarettes and their own brands of uh, of vaping products. This would be it, because in another few months, the only thing we're going to have are tobacco industry vape products being sold out of convenience stores and gas stations. They will be more accessible to young people. They will be utterly useless as a smoking cessation tool because of the, the type of nicotine cap that's been put in place and the fact that they'll be being sold by gas station attendants that have no idea how to work with somebody who's coming off cigarettes. And the tax uh, and the tax doesn't hit those products at all like they do for the specialty vape stores. Well, that's that's what I mean about the, the dovetailing here is that uh, there, for some bizarre reason, the tax attaches not to a nicotine level, but to the volume. So the the products that the tobacco companies make are extremely small volume, high nicotine content, where the types of products that are sold uh, by specialty shops are lower nicotine, higher volume. It would be the difference between a glass of wine and a, and a glass of you know, tequila, uh, two, two very different things. You wouldn't measure the alcohol by, by volume. Um, but the problem is, is when that interacts with the, the nicotine cap, you create a situation in which all of the specialty shops go out of business. The only product left is uh, the tobacco industry's product which is too low in nicotine to be useful to those coming off nicotine and also puts people who have stopped smoking uh, and reduced their nicotine levels in a position where they would actually be expected to increase their nicotine intake, notwithstanding the fact that they've just maybe spent a year or two knocking themselves down. It, it is an absolutely uh, masterful uh, attempt to push people back to smoking cigarettes and help them save money while they do it, while also putting a dozen homegrown Canadian businesses out of business and propping up the, uh, the tobacco industry. I, I can't imagine a more 
purposeful failure on the part of our, our legislatures than, uh, than this piece of legislation. Well, Mike, it certainly sounds like uh, you've got your work cut out for you, but the industry sounds like they're in good hands. That's all I can say. Well, let's, uh, we're, we're going to make it happen. That's great. We'll just stay right there, and thank you very much. And that is it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com, and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. We do need your help. It's easy. Just give us the money. And we promise you we'll do something good with it. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.